What's up, J-Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York and Toronto, Ontario, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. We're four months in, and we had our first technical meltdown. Our first missed episode we recorded last week and we were planning to drop it, but uh, the last half of the episode suffered from what we call robot voice, which if you are a longtime listener, you probably have heard uh, at least once. We've usually been able to edit it out, but in this case, it happened through the entire second half of the episode. So unfortunately, we did lose our AEW Dynamite review and our uh, WWE Payback 2020 review. Um, payback was pretty good. Pretty much any time I spoke, there was a crackle, like an electronic crackle over any inflection or word that I said for some weird reason. And hopefully that is not the case as we record this new intro now. And no. the best parts of that episode, I feel, were salvageable. Yes. So luckily it's okay. WWE Payback was great. I enjoyed it. And two weeks in a row, I feel WWE for the first time ever feel feels like they are actually uh heading in a, heading in a new direction yeah, yeah in a direction that feels exciting and that makes me interested to see where those stories are going and I, I guess we're just so used to bullshit from them and like bad booking that when everyone who was should have won won that night we were like blown away <laughs> and it was fun. just a fun that those those that show and SummerSlam were both really fun watches just with yeah, yeah Th- Thomas joining in on SummerSlam totally it felt like SummerSlam had like consistently like very good to excellent matches across the board there was a, a couple that were not quite as good on payback but for a, a, a pay-per-view like payback like a tertiary pay-per-view basically that happened one week after SummerSlam it was really good yeah it and ex- it was- exceeded expectations absolutely Absolutely. I think the match of the night was, wasn't there a women's tag match between... Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, Sasha, Bailey, Baszler, and Nia that ended with Baszler looking so dominant at that double submission hold. Choking out Bailey with Sasha's arm, if I'm correct. Yeah, that was sick. Very that cool. Was sick. Um, it's really cool to see um, Baszler have something to do because it looked like Vince had just kind of like kind given of up given up. Her. Especially after such a long dominant reign in NXT. It's just such a waste. Yeah. Like, it's a waste to be undefeated in NXT, like Asuka was, and then just to kind of do nothing with the with that. Because it's so much build. Yeah, it's almost like it's two separate, like, brands or products. Sort of buried the lead here in that you, my friend, are now in Toronto. Yes, we thought maybe there would be a delay, like a delay in an episode because I moved, but that actually created no problems at all. I sent my mic in the mail and arrived three days later so we were ready to go here today but yeah i'm I'm here in toronto i am hoping that at some point after this back to school covid surge has uh has dissipated a little bit there will be live wrestling shows here that i can go to so i'm really very psyched and it feels cool feels cool that we're in we're each in the biggest city of uh of our of our countries, you know, this is an international podcast. We have listeners in Japan, and the UK, and Canada, and the US. Not much of them, but that is technically accurate. Big shout out to all of them, and <laughs> yeah, it's cool. We're in the same time zone now. It's a little easier to plan. 
our episodes and just yeah exciting for you there'll be more wrestling shows happening for you to go to and for you to report to all i also just think i'll be more generally just inspired as a person absolutely yeah i feel great john should we go back in time i think last week i think we should but before we do that i would like to say the bit that we that you are about to listen to is built upon the fact that Mark has not seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And it poses the question, if you could assemble five wrestlers from past or present to help you complete your hero's journey, who would that be and why? For those of you listening, if you have five wrestlers that you feel would make a good team, you should send us an email at hello at torturact.com. If you have any other questions or sort of uh, insights, observations you want to send our way, feel free to hit up that email. Uh, we'd love to hear your five wrestlers as well. For those of you listening, me and Mark, me and Mark picked one similar person, and then some varying and questionable choices. <laughs> le- uh, so yeah, yeah, uh, hit us up if you have five, and we'll see you in the past. <laughs> In the immortal words of Bill and Ted, be excellent to each other. Dude, I can't believe you just seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure for the first time in your life. But watching you watching that had me think how it could relate to this podcast uh, in terms of wrestlers and traveling through time. So what I'm wondering, and for everybody listening, maybe you maybe make your lists and uh, DM them to us so we can post them to our Instagram stories. If you could travel through time and assemble five wrestlers from past and present to help you complete your hero's journey in the year 2020, who are you choosing? So I know this is just one of these things where you're just asking me what my five is so you can tell me your five. Oh, yeah, totally. But like, (laughs) and you know, like instantly when I thought of this question, I started writing down all my favorites like Onita, Hayabusa, Cactus Jack. But then like the list that I made was too like Renegade too volatile right you can't have all those guys in a not phone trustworthy booth. like yeah exactly like they they would go off the rails we it wouldn't get my hero's journey would not get completed simultaneously other people i started thinking of maybe had too much star power and their star power would overshadow my own you know center central sort of focus in the story yeah so who was the who was the first wrestler that you thought of uh for this question the first person that popped into my head uh was tanahashi oh my god dude number one on my list no way tanahashi yeah <laughs> i was watching uh summer struggle uh i was too in, yeah, in Jingu, yeah. In jingu this morning uh uh-huh. i wasn't in jingu unfortunately uh but tanahashi was on the ropes just standing on the <laughs> turnbuckle and he just looked so majestic and i just thought like i would trust this man to like get me anywhere i needed to be Dude, he's so virtuous and like, yes, he's like almost like the the human manifestation of Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia or something. I have like, no idea who that is. <laughs> like, just is that like, the lion? Yeah, so yeah. Then uh-huh. Once I had uh, Tanahashi, uh, I immediately thought, okay, I'm gonna bring Abushi too because. I want a tag team that work very well together. I think it's important to have a tag team. Even though he's roughly the same age, he looks like young and like strong. I feel like between the two of them, they could pretty much accomplish anything I needed to get done. Ibushi is not a bad choice either. That 
is not someone that I considered in my five. Who but, is your second? Um, it's funny that you picked Tanahashi first too. You actually told me that you had just started watching Bill and Ted's for the first time while I was watching Summer Struggle. Yeah. Which is what, and then Tanahashi being on screen is what made me think of this question. So it's funny that we both picked him first. That's hilarious. He also just seems like if they were going to pick a wrestler from history to be in that movie, Tanahashi would be a good addition to like Genghis Khan and yeah. Joan of Arc. And, Agreed. You know, it's Beethoven. like what, what Okada will be in like 10 years, basically. Yes. Yeah. And then 10 years, this question, Okada would fill that role. My number two was Bret Hart. Nice. A man of integrity. He's not going to double cross you. He's very serious, would be a good balance to Tanahashi, is not going to like supersede you as like the star of the story because he's just there to do what you need him to do. The Hitman. Exactly. That's a, that's a good choice. I also considered Brett the Hitman, but I don't know. I thought he would be a little bit too much of a like a come down for me. Like I definitely would want to <laughs> be like smoking and he'd probably be like, oh, you know, Mark, I don't think you should be, you know, you can do what you want, but I don't think you should be smoking <laughs> weed so much. And I'd be like, Brett, get off my fucking back. And Tanahashi would be the glue to keep you two together. And Bushi would be there cheering you on. I think Ibushi would just, like, Tanahashi and Ibushi would just be, like, cool with whatever I did. They're there, yeah. Yeah, especially just them as a tag. They're such a good tag team. And they're just, like, they're there to put on sick wrestling matches and, like, entertain the crowd. So, yeah, that's a great first two. Who's your third? Can you just imagine, like, Tanahashi just giving you a thumbs up at the end of your hero's journey? Dude, yeah. Like, you'd be like, thanks, Dad. He's who you want there at the end with you. He 100%. would be out of the, the each of our fives. I feel like he is the one who's surviving along with you. Yeah. Okay. I feel like I'm now entering the controversial part of the list. Okay. For me. However, this, this makes sense to me and it feels right to me. So I would go back in time to 1985 and collect a hopefully – pre-racism hulk hogan for my journey <laughs> hogan is a weird choice man see he I th- in my mind it is controversial because in my mind he falls within the like his star power would like overshadow your journey i'm not a fucking narcissist like you so i can but handle a little star power in my entourage you have you have to be the harry <laughs> potter in this though and if hulk hogan is with harry potter hermione and ron weasley hulk hogan's overshadowing all three of them listen I'm not, I'm not asking you to your change your list. list. I'm you not can. saying I, get rid of I don't Bret think Hart. You, dude, my list is locked tight. I don't think you can criticize it. Okay, well, you know what? I What I'm thinking, <laughs> because I am a storyteller and I love film, so I was trying to think, how can I put together both the most powerful team that can help me accomplish anything, at the same time, the most entertaining characters that I can get? So... I thought both Hulk Hogan would be fantastic, but also I would love to see him sort of clash with Tanahashi about who was like sort of the bigger dog. And I think like that would could create a good arc where they would at first butt heads, but then at the very end they would come together to defeat like an enemy that they, they couldn't do alone. I like that. Yeah. Plus you also, I, 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 I like the choice of Hogan in that like, you know, he was in Mr. Nanny. He did a lot of, like, fun... I also... I didn't mention this, but I think he should be animated. <laughs> so, wait. You, so far, Tanahashi, Ibushi, and you are real. Are real All live real. Action. Yeah. Hogan's animated? Hogan's animated. I think he should I be love that. Hogan's animated, and he's on your shoulder. It's like 1989 Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Hulk Hogan in Japan against Great Muda. Not Hulk Hogan in present day. 
My number three is a very obvious choice for me, I think. I think everyone listening probably would guess what my number three is. Maybe you'd surprise that it's not the first choice. Suzuki? <laughs> no, dude, no way. Uh, Jushin Thunder Liger. Oh, duh. That was so obvious. Yeah. Like, yeah. And it, it, like I feel like every team like that, like in ter- like a, maybe like a uh, like Guardians of the Galaxy sort of way needs like a very cool looking character within their team and Jujin Thunder Liger, you know, so virtuous, feel like is on the side of good almost always throughout his entire career with the exception of Kishin Liger. I think that even with Kishin Liger as a potential, you know, demon that could come to light, maybe he comes to light and also helps me when I'm at, you know, my wits end in terms of my story. Uh, So, so far I have Tanahashi, Bret Hart and Jushin Thunder Liger. Who's your fourth? Okay, well, now that I'm in 1985, I just take the time machine just a few years further and I pick up what to me is like, you could not... Number one, I tried to think, okay, I'm going to pick someone dead because, you know, I have a time machine, so why not, right? (laughs) And also I thought, who is like the most entertaining character in perhaps all of wrestling history? Um, And so then I thought, well... If you're going to have the mega powers of Japan, Tanahashi and Ibushi, you got to have the mega powers of America. So I brought (laughs) Macho Man, ooh, yeah, Randy Savage (laughs) along for the rise. Dude, Macho Man's a good choice. Yeah, I don't know how I didn't think of that. Uh, That is a great choice. So, see, I feel like you've created a pretty volatile explosion, a, a volatile team in that you have two tag teams. I think it's not a bad choice in having Ibushi there with Tanahashi because the two of them seem just like, we're just here to help you. Yeah, they're the more chill version. and Macho Man are going to, you know, I see Hogan and Macho Man are like going to go fight some huge like lava golem or something like that. And then Tanahashi and Ibushi are just going to like take all the like a hundred forces. Like they're going to be like the Ninja Turtles just going around taking, (laughs) taking care of everyone else, you know? That's how I feel. And like, you know, Ibushi will be like lifting boulders and stuff out of the way. <laughs> and Macho Man will be like using his charisma to like overcome I challenges. absolutely love the visual of Ibushi like using his strength to like clear paths for you as Macho yeah. Man cuts a promo. Oh yeah, look at Ibushi! He's lifting that rock, brother! <laughs> Dude, my fourth... Speaking of gigantic lava monsters, go- lava golems that need to be defeated, my fourth pick, a stoic mountain of a man named Kenta Kobashi, oh. would be chopping that lava golem to death. Interesting. As I Jushin like Thunder Liger levitated around and did magic on that golem. So why Kenta? Kenta is, I felt like the team, my team needed someone very, like, like basically the straight, you need someone that's really strong, stoic, and that will kind of go along with what needs to be done. Almost like a Batista to the Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's like, I don't necessarily like all of these people, but I have been chosen to be here and I am going to fulfill my duties with honor and with strength. And, you know, having Kenta balance out, because Liger's fast and magical Bret Hart is practical, pragmatic. Tanahashi is, you know, just the best. So who who sort of to balance out all of that? And, you know, Suzuki was someone else that I thought of right away, too. But he's too 
Like he's in, like wild. That man will cut your throat. Yes. Yeah. He'll turn. He could turn on you. He, he has Suzuki Goon. Kento Kobashi just seems like someone you'd want in a pinch like that. I feel like Macho is my um, my wild card. I don't necessarily have a wild card. I don't think. I like to have one wild card, but also who who we know can work together with Hogan. And I just feel like. Once Hogan and Macho Man realize that, like, together with Tanahashi and Ibushi, the two tag teams, the Mega Powers and the Golden Aces colliding into, like, the Mega Golden Ace Powers or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they just level up like Voltron. So my question for you, then, for your fifth person, because I'm not sure who this would be on your team thus far. Do you have someone that would die for you? Because that's who my fifth person is. Not necessarily someone that deserves to die, but someone that I think would be such a friend and such a heroic, like Dobby-esque character within my story. He would die for me and it would be the most tragic death within my story. I think at the end of the story, at the end of my story, I I die for this person. Oh, yes. Some, some lady into the mix. And then I thought, exactly. who would I love to be friends with? Can I guess? Uh, yes. Asuka? It's Asuka, yeah. <laughs> I love Asuka. I feel like she, like, with her character, like, spewing, like, green mist and stuff. And just being able to, like, create distractions. Imagine her and Macho Man going off to, like, be in a fight to, like, um, create a distraction. Dude, so then Ibushi, Asuka, Ibushi, Tadahashi working get... together while Macho Man and Hulk Hogan sort of cut promos is such a great visual. Yeah, yeah. Are you, I think my team are is Are you perfect. just watching it all happen? What are you doing while all that's going on? Um. Well, I become a tag team partner with Asuka. Oh. At a certain point. So naturally. So three tag teams. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, at the end I die for Interesting Asuka. Interesting that you're fit. Because I, I would die for Asuka. <laughs> It's interesting that your fifth person makes sense for you to form a tag team with and would die, you would die for, because my fifth... I like how you you just said so confidently that me and Asuka would make, like, a... I think you'd make a good, good tag, tag team. team, yeah. Thank you so Similarly, much. Similarly, I think me and my um, fifth would be a good tag team as well. Do you have any guesses who you think my fifth person would be? It's a reliable Ooh. person that would die for you that's, like... Very chill. Can you give me a hint of like promotion? New Japan. I mean, that's obvious. I don't think it's Okada. No, it's a sleeper choice. I think. I think would round out anyone's team. Sonata. No. Juice Robinson. Ah, juicy. Juice would definitely take a bullet for you. He's there to party if you want to party. He's there to do whatever you need him to do. He is a perfect like secondary character to a hero he himself wow. could be a hero but i think you know within that team juice robinson kento kobashi jushin lager Bret hart tanahashi i could imagine you know i'm about to die and juice robinson takes the bullet for me and then juice robinson tragically dies in the arms of tanahashi it's tanahashi lays him to rest wow that's amazing i think at the end of mine it's like it's like mad max fury road so i'm like strapped to like a car and shit and then uh, Asuka's, like, uh, Imperator Furiosa, like, driving the things. And at the end, like, she's, like, celebrating. And I just, like, give her the thumbs up and just, like, walk into the crowd. <laughs> and then Asuka's the star. And then she become, she needs yeah. five people for her hero's journey now. Uh, yes. Dude, sick. Perfect. Well done, John. I think we killed that. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's an interesting 
question in that like it, you remove a lot of people and thinking about like who would actually be helpful not too wild not overshadow you as the hero etc and speaking of heroes and heroes journeys we also watched you cannot kill david arquette yes and it's a great wrestling documentary yeah it is probably the best wrestling documentary that i've seen uh in terms of just like a really compelling story uh great behind the scenes footage and just really great cinematography yeah clearly made by someone that absolutely loves wrestling yes it's almost like one one uh thought i had was that it's like aronofsky's the wrestler but uplifting <laughs> it's like the feel-good version of the wrestler basically that's uh that's pretty good actually yeah because you... to the point that like you know the last scenes are arquette diving off the ropes uh and sort of doing wrestling moves and stuff and it totally reminded me of randy the ram and just you know well that's what i thought of like that film. during the movie that it just seemed more like a fiction film than a documentary um mm. and i think that's that's probably part of it like arquette is a really savvy guy it's like part of the part of that movie is it's 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 its own sort of myth making right like it's i actually compared it to like a promo package at one point like i was like it's like an hour and a half promo package for like the match we're about to watch that we're like super invested in like the best promo package ever um so yeah really really cool i i'm a big fan of um arquette i didn't realize how much i kind of would relate to him as just a person yeah it's a really great story and you know overall everyone listening if you haven't watched it or maybe uh haven't sought it out yet i highly recommend it it's it's on most uh it's on like amazon itunes etc uh yeah, it's really sick. It's really cool to watch him sort of turn into... I know at the end he says, like, I'll never be a great wrestler, but to really see him become a wrestler, like an actual wrestler. Uh, because you yeah. had mentioned him on the podcast, like, very early on, like, that he was wrestling, and I had no idea. And then, you know, I, obviously I heard about the Nick Gage deathmatch, but even just seeing it in this documentary, like, I couldn't believe, you know, how brutal it was and, like, Nick gauge looking so concerned like oh like fuck. stunned yeah, yeah like when that happened and it, it was really cool watching him like one of the things i absolutely love seeing and hearing was rj city and david arquette breaking down that was the, the best that they were gonna do i yeah that, i think that was my favorite part of the documentary and yes. then as they were breaking down the moves in various spots backstage we're seeing them play out uh on screen in the match that they eventually have and it's a really great match and it's cool. I don't know. I, I mean, I know it, that's a part of wrestling that exists in the, the sort of the choreography, planning it out beat for beat, what's going to happen. But it's so impressive to see them in different spots at different times of the day talking about what they're going to do. Yeah. Uh, no, it's, it's I don't really know. Cool. Yeah. And then seeing that play out on screen is really cool. Yeah. It kind, not, kind of an invaluable document because like I can't think of seeing that anywhere else. Like you said. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know if there is like another sort of like the only things I can think of are fictional. Like in the re- in uh, the wrestler when they're backstage when he's fighting, I think it's when he's fighting in CZW and they're backstage talking about like working a leg and then someone yells like, "Oh, I'm going to be working a is leg tonight." Is that CZW? Like, oh my god, I need to rewatch the wrestler. Yeah, yeah. Um totally. I also think uh we should try maybe maybe not for next week but for uh, a recent episode to watch Fake It So Real by Robert Greene, which is apparently mm, a really yeah. good documentary about wrestling. 
I would thought you were going to say the wrestler, which I also would like to watch. Again. No, I, I, I absolutely we, will watch that again for sure. Put them both on the list: the wrestler and just fake it till you make it. <laughs> what is it called? Fake it so real. <laughs> fake it so real. <laughs> What's fake it called? So fake it till you make it. <laughs> All is right with the world. We watched New Japan Summer Struggle. 2020 at Jingu Stadium, first outdoor event in 21 years. Justice has ended. been restored to the universe. Naito wins his titles back with a fireworks celebration. Absolutely incredible event. I think my favorite top to bottom. I think my favorite top to bottom if New Japan event since Wrestle Kingdom. Like, there's obviously been great matches and great moments since then, but. Yeah, in retrospect, thinking about the different... I mean, there's really only one big event before COVID happened, New Beginning. Yeah. COVID happened, then we had the New Japan Cup. But just like top to bottom, yeah, I absolutely loved... I really liked every match, including you know why? the opener. You know why? What? No six-man tags. <laughs> your least favorite... Your, oh, the only part of New Japan you dislike, the six-man six tags. I don't even dislike it. I guess there's just like... I think it just always, they feel like strenuous. It's like, who's ever not wrestling in these top feuds, we're going to throw it together in these tag matches, basically. Which is not know, a terrible love... way to do things. It's really not. And I, it makes a I, lot of sense. You get, you get like Tiger Mask and Tenzan. It would be like if WWE did that and they had like, it would be sick if WWE did that too. And I think you would probably love it because it's like, imagine if in the openers, like Triple H and like HBK had tag, like we're in a tag match with like 205 live guys and they actually put the 205 guys live 205 live guys over like that is that would be sick yeah i have no good i have no good reason no to reason not, to not no cuz i love the six mans in in AEW i love them. we kind of have touched on this before though cuz it, it is similar to AEW dark where it's kind of like you're watching it cuz you like watching wrestling you're not watching it because there's bigger implications that are happening, really. Yeah, it's like you can skip it and you don't feel like you've missed. Although, a and lot of times don't. you do actually tell me things that have happened. So, I it's mean... Su nuanced, subtle things happen and are are sort of like laid out within those. But Kevin Kelly, I feel like, does such a good job on commentary that you don't have to watch them and he'll catch you up. But yeah, so no, no six-man openers, just... Great matches through and through. Master Wato versus Kanemaru. What do you think of the Grand Master and his karate moves? Okay, so this is my first Master Watu match. Is it Watu or Wato? Wato, yeah. Why the Spelled like what? phonetically like Watu, but oh, okay, interesting. Um, Kevin Kelly says Master Wato on commentary. Oh, so. interesting. Um, yeah, this is my first Wato match, and I like him. The gimmick is not, it doesn't feel, Thomas mentioned in the chat that it doesn't feel like a, a New Japan gimmick. No. And, and I agree with that, 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 that it doesn't feel, it's weird. It's like, it's like a, cause he is, he, at the start of this match, he does throw cool, like kind of karate strikes. Mm -hmm. So they are kind of building this sort of, I don't know, like karate master character, but then he's got blue hair and weird. I feel like it's the most outfit. WWE thing that they've ever done because it like, it's certainly in our viewing for sure. Yeah. Maybe ever. Yeah. Cause it's kind of trolls the audience a little bit, uh, by calling this like 23 year old kid, the grand master. And I enjoyed that aspect of the story was like an older wrestler who wants to put this like young 
sort of idiot into his place, like for, for calling <laughs> himself like the grandmaster. Um, yeah. So I thought that, that was an interesting story and it kind of kept me engaged in the match, which was like, a, I, I thought a solid opener. I agree. Yeah. The, it was a really good, it was a good, good opening match. And Kenamaru has had actually quite a few matches that I've enjoyed in recent memory. Uh, he's not someone that stands out on the New Japan, the New Japan roster to me, but I feel like it has stood out since the New Japan Cup, basically. Uh, and yeah, the Grandmaster, he just doesn't feel like a New Japan gimmick at all. I don't know. Maybe we'll be wrong, and in like five years, he'll be the IWGP champion. But I, I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like he has to go to TNA and like get ridiculed for like five years and then yeah. come back. I think maybe also imagine, I guess it's like imagine he does have sick karate moves, but then like gear that is Tanahashi quality and like a better haircut. It could work then. Yeah, it's re- but, it's not his wrestling. It's really just his like sil- presentation. But it seems like his presentation is it's like obviously silly. It's like they're trying to appeal to a different demographic with him, like kids almost. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like I think it is kids. Yeah, like kids because I as a kid I would want an action figure of him maybe more so than someone like Ishii. Even though I love Ishii, it's like oh I want a brightly colored like a guy with blue hair and cool pink pants. Yeah. as an action figure. Not like another guy in black trunks. I just don't really so, understand what the whole thing with with like the way to the grandmaster and then he comes. Like, <laughs> what 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 was the point of that? I guess just to build hype around someone that there is well, they, no hype I, around. And they always do that for their new pe- like when they bring someone new onto the roster like that. That's going to oh. be a part, a bigger part of the roster. They like El Fantasmo and Bullet Club. They did that with him. Grandmaster loses. Also, he he lost quite a bit on his. On the uh, over the last month, like on his intro run, um, I know he's getting his footing, and that's kind of what New Japan does. But yeah, we'll see. I'm not sure. The second match, I'm very interested to hear what you thought of the outcome of match number two, and who the king <laughs> of pro wrestling 2020 is. Okay, please, like, let me know how this match got set up because well, it seemed it, like the, the most random ta- pairing I've ever seen you, in my life. You were in that in the chat with me and Thomas. Where okay. we were talking about the different stipulations, each each of them. So prior to this match, each of the winners. So Okada Sonata, Desperado Yano. I'm not. I don't want to run through all of the matches that they had. Please uh, do prior not. Prior to this, <laughs> but both of them, all four of them had individual singles matches to get into this final four way match at Jingu Stadium. Okay. So that's how they're all together. Who did Yano Here, beat? It was a ter- it was a tournament to crown the King of Pro Wrestling 2020, and I can't remember who Yano faced. Um, it was a but... tournament with eight people in it? Yeah. All right. I, it's just kind of, I think, to do something different to make it, like, you know, to did I, add interest. Did I hear that Okada, like, started it? He did. It was Okada. It was said to be Okada's idea. Uh, it was sold on the New Japan commentary through the New Japan Cup. Rocky Romero kept saying Okada has something up his sleeve, and it was this tournament. Uh, the one, the one significant thing. I don't really want to talk about the pre matches before this at all. But one significant thing that did happen that is great is Okada had to face Yujiro, Gato, and Jado in a match, and he beat all of them. Of course, he did. So, like everything we've been saying about like, why is Okada do like, at least like, why is he like actually taking offense from them? He at least beat, he won a three on one handicap match as he should against the three of those people. That's sick. Uh, I thought this was like a weird combination, but I actually really enjoyed the combination of people. It was a really fun match. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really fun match. And I don't know. 
I keep bringing into like WWE, but it just seems like 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 a random four way where like a kind of a joke wrestler like Al Snow would be facing like The Rock or something. But I think it's not a. I guess like I think it's okay to compare it like that. But I also think it's an unfair compare. It's actually Al Snow's not a bad comparison because he's beloved by the crowd. But I would say in addition, like he was Al Snow was beloved by the crowd in WWE, but also kind of accepted as like he is just kind of like a fun addition to this show. Probably not going to be the champion. Whereas I feel like Yano is very respected by the New Japan crowd and also is seen as a fun addition to the show. He's not looked at as a joke in any way. In the way that you look at him. But all he does is like tie people up and stuff. But it's fun. But it's like part. It's yeah. It's like the sports entertainment aspect of New Japan basically is Yano. Would you say he's like a like a Mick Foley type character who is like? Yes, maybe that's a good. Maybe Mick Foley when he was the general like general manager, uh, if he was still wrestling at that point. Yes, like if he was still like I guess he was still probably like I can't remember really because I didn't watch that much back then, but. Like when he he probably like did Sako on people every now and then or something <laughs> kind of si- kind of similar to that okay, yeah okay and and I just think like if they could cheer and chant like they the crowd constantly erupts to everything Yano does like they he's beloved okay uh, so it makes makes sense that he would win and I think to what you were saying about it being a random four way I think all four of these people had nothing there wasn't anything for them to do storyline wise. So why not have them in this kind of wild four-way? Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really good. Um, it's always good to see Okada Sonata fighting Desperado. Oh, dude, yeah. Okada and Sonata tag team at the beginning? Yeah. That made me want Sonata to defect and be on a tag team with Okada. Oh, interesting. Okada throwing up the fist to him, but then it was a heel tactic was really great. So true. Yeah, this was a yeah. really fun match. Um Okay, how who would you compare like Okada fighting Yano? What is that like? You know, it doesn't have to be WWE; it can be WCW, AEW. But what is Okada versus Yano? Give me a comparison so I understand. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to compare. Like I said, I think it's hard to compare just in that the way that the crowd, the crowd, Yano's just beloved. I don't know. Was Yano ever a heavyweight contender? Yeah, he like if you, I I don't know if you remember, but like maybe that'll be one of the classic matches that have you watched. Like he had to face Ishii in the G one last year, and Ishii, Ishii brought out like a real wrestling match okay. from him. Okay, interesting. Uh, so there are like, and he was previously like yeah a big part, like historically a big part of the heavyweight scene in New Japan. So it makes sense that they have so much respect for him. He just does what he does now because it's like what the crowd likes and. Like, I think uh, is a crucial part of the G1 in that they, the wrestlers from a athletic and break standpoint, probably look forward to their match with Yano because like with, in Moxley's case, it ended up with him getting tied up to the um, guardrail and he lost. It was one of his, it was his first big loss to the G1 I last guess it's because that's like how I know Yano from is like tying up people in the G1 last year. That's really when I started watching New Japan, right? so right yeah well, i guess like yeah when you started to heavily watch new japan yeah um yeah i mean he definitely i would say in terms of like the overall history of uh new japan will be remembered for this time right now but like you know previously was in like a stable with masahiro chono and you know played a big part do you mean in sort tokyo of big... chono 
<laughs> yeah, as you found out, it's so cool. Very brief sidebar that you found out that Chono toured Canada. Yeah, not just Canada, but uh, the Atlantic Canada, the Maritimes. Um, just as I am preparing to leave uh, Moncton, New Brunswick to Toronto, Ontario, I decided to learn more about New Brunswick wrestling and uh, did a sort of a deep dive on Wikipedia and YouTube and saw that uh, Chono toured. What year did I say it was like 88, 87? Yeah, it was late 80s. I believe the I think the video you sent me might have been like 89. Yeah, he toured with the Atlantic Grand Prix Wrestling, which was the father of René Dupre from WWE, uh, his promotion. Um, which I just, I found out just from, I, I, I was watching a, I think a what culture list and I saw a list of, I saw a map of the territories of all the wrestling and I saw someone was in Moncton and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I want to learn more about that. And, uh, yeah, found a, Ch uh, Masahiro Chono match from uh, Amherst, Nova Scotia, uh, where he's fighting under the name Tokyo Chono. Uh, but yeah, really cool to see. I thought you would find that very interesting. Yeah, I, I the match was cool too. It, it, if you, it's on, it was on. Was it a YouTube link? Yeah, on? I was uh, trying so hard to see. Like, I went to the Wrestling Observer or the sorry, the Pro Fight database to see if Chono fought in Moncton. He fought everywhere yeah. around. He fought in like Shediac, Kokong, Saint John, PEI. Jo he did fight in Saint John, um, not PEI, but like uh, in Nova Scotia, Amherst, Halifax. But Sick. the one match I was able to find was a Nova Scotian match. I would have liked to have been in uh, New Brunswick, but. It's, I, I, I forget that all these old wrestling matches get, like, recorded. Like, who has all these tapes, like, of, like, Atlantic Grand Prix wrestling? Let's get that on. Fight. Yeah, tape, I mean, tape, tape traders are crazy. Yeah, that, that I bet, I mean, in thinking about, like, peop, uh, old wrestling tape traders, it's like, Chono wrestling in Canada is such a weird, cool thing that I bet that that was something, it makes sense that it was saved, and it seems like something, like, that would be kind of sought after, just in that he's such a big part of, new japan's history and then for him to have such a brief run in canada i feel like that's like those are the types of things that like tape traders drool over even if it's not necessarily like the best match. maybe the most significant matches yeah. or it's just cool to see him someone like chono wrestling yeah in such small parts of canada totally uh it's kind of circling back to yano's significance too and like yano so yano is king of pro wrestling 2020 which is awesome and I think a fine use of that. I could see from your perspective, cause he's like comedy relief that he won, but I mean, he did win by cheating basically. My and... uh, favorite moment from this match was when, um, Sonata had him tied up in that, in that lock that he has that keeps no, the paradise, lock, paradise yeah. lock. And then I believe Sonata drop, uh, shotgun drop kicks Okada into Yano and he finally gets freed. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, I love when Sonata gets people in the Paradise Lock and leaves them there. Yeah. That that was a really great moment in this match. Uh, and then, yeah, Yano wins. One last bit on the significance of Yano. Excuse me. Uh, in that, uh, <coughs> I this maybe is a fact that you know, but he was one of the founding members of Chaos as well, along with Shinsuke Nakamura. So, oh. like, he, he's such a huge, huge part of, like, sort of the history <laughs> of modern-day uh, New Japan. Along with like people like Maccabe. So why is he not in Chaos he, anymore? He is. Right. <laughs> He's a member of Chaos still. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, they, I think Kevin Kelly might have even said on commentary, um, Chaos versus Chaos, in that Okada and uh, Yano were both in this match. Uh, but yeah, Yano wins. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what the significance of King of Pro Wrestling will be moving forward. But I'll, I'll tell you, all I want is to see Okada Sonata main event Wrestle Kingdom. 
you know, that I would love to see that. And also because of the start of this match, we got such great tag team cooperation between them. That made me want Okada and Sonata to be in World Tag League at the end of this year together. Oh, interesting. I don't think it's going to happen because they're in different stables, but Sonata does not have a tag team partner and works so seamlessly with Okada. And I mean, LIJ, like they kind of can do what they want, right? Yeah, I because I mean they they were heavily featured in that heels documentary we watched, and they are they do kind of like work as heels, but you know they're so beloved by the crowd that I feel like they're between sort of a heel and face faction, and obviously that ultimately doesn't matter. But I feel like in New Japan, it does. They do very clearly have like this is the heel faction, and then it's Bullet Club. This is the face faction. It's Chaos. Lij is kind of the in between. Right, um, right, right, right. So totally, and Sonata, I think could do that on his own uh next match is shingo takagi versus suzuki was definitely the match i was most looking forward to i don't think i liked to say this most anticipated match that we both were looking forward to i don't think i liked it quite as much as you did um but i loved that takagi lost because that means that they can push him into the main event where he deserves to my thoughts exactly yeah yeah i was thinking that that was the move yeah break shingo we ran down, maybe it was the last episode or the episode before this, one, one of the past episodes we ran down how significant his never title reign has been and that it's been the most significant title reign in the year of 2020 for New Japan. Yes. In terms of match quality and the people he's faced. And honestly, when they were talking about that again this time, I was like, he's definitely dropping it tonight. Oh, like he's done so much with it yeah. that like he doesn't need this anymore. Kevin and Kelly was selling that in... pretty hard. Yeah, well... I guess that begs the question then, do, could could Shingo be the one that wins the G1 this year? God, that would be awesome. If it's I think maybe. If it's yeah. Shingo or Sonata, I'm a very happy... Also, if Osprey comes and comes back and he wins it, I would also love that. That would be very cool if they somehow could make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, if Osprey could come back, I would say it would be Osprey or Shingo would be my picks for winning the G1 this year. So, John, I gave this match a B plus, A minus. You gave it an A. Why do you think you liked it quite that much? I would put it in contention for one of your best matches of the year. Yeah. uh, I think for me, a lot of my enjoyment of the match hinges on the ending of the match and my story investment to the match. Like that, those are sort of the things that I feel, I think stay at the front of my mind when I'm watching wrestling more so maybe than was this a crazy, like, five-star Meltzer scale banger. And in that way, I I honestly did not expect Suzuki to win here. So him winning was a big upset for me, a surprise upset. And New Japan, when it hits you in that way and gives you a surprise upset, I feel like it's some of the most like, it's like endorphins firing in my brain or something like the most satisfying, uh, conclusions in wrestling to me happen when new japan gives you those moments where it's like two wrestlers you're invested in whether it's like okada and naito or in this case shingo and suzuki where you get this this upset that you may and in this case you maybe weren't even hoping for because i love shingo and i love suzuki i've loved shingo's never rain so i was expecting kind of it to continue here and now that it's not continuing it does make me feel like oh maybe shingo goes on to win the g1 because he's done so much great stuff over the last year title reigns are interesting because if you have a very short title reign um it doesn't really mean anything and it, it looks funny if you suddenly are fighting for like a higher belt right 
Uh, right. Whereas if you have a long title reign, you defend it a bunch, and then you get beaten in a sick match, you kind of present yourself as the top next contender to a higher belt. So like Shingo. Right. I've done everything I've done with this belt. Suzuki, you can have it because I'm going to go take the IWGP belt from Night or the Intercontinental belt. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Although since they are held by the same person, it's 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 tricky. But um, take Naito's belts. Yeah. That's like that's like it's sort of like Cody's run. With the TNT title, like he yes, he elevated that title. Yeah. He and now he's gone, and he looks awesome. And when he comes back, he could fight. Like if MJF won the AEW title, he could come and fight MJF, and it would not be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. I agree. I'm not going to poke holes in that. In that, like, I wonder if they'll find a way around there, like. Like Cody not being able to challenge for the AEW belt, so he could challenge MJF eventually. Oh, for it. right, yeah, it's wrestling, but yeah, I, they'll find a way. But yeah, I I don't know. I just I really enjoyed this match. I love all of Suzuki's matches by default, and Shingo just he has so many cool moves in his arsenal. And there was a moment where I thought it was over, and it wasn't. I think he hit the uh, oh, he hit a made, made in Japan. Oh. He hit a made in Japan. And Shingo hit a made in Japan. I thought it was over there. That was a very close two count. And then, yeah, Suzuki hits the gotch style. And as soon as he hit that, my mind exploded because nobody kicks out of the gotch style. And, yeah, uh, he, Suzuki's the new never open weight champion. I think very smart move just in terms of the different people that can challenge for the never belt and have new matches with Suzuki. There's, I, I like, thought the same thing. Endless. I was like, oh, man, we get so many great Suzuki matches now shingo can go up and sort of do better things and also it's just yeah it's just great to see suzuki getting an, another title like i don't know because he's lost a lot over the last year like he's yeah. lost to okada quite a few times yeah. and he's the guy who's like i'm gonna fucking destroy you and then he loses and then he's goes up to somebody else and is like i'm gonna fucking destroy you and then kind of loses so yeah great to see him pick up a big win What'd you think of the outcome of the junior heavyweight championship, Takahashi versus Ishimori? I loved it. Like, I think you know, I love, I love Taiji. I knew you'd be hyped. I, yeah. I was. Fuck- it's cool. It's cool to see your fandom of him sort of grow as this podcast continues. This was my endorphin one of the night because the main event was ruined for me. Um, on you, you met on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know what I was expecting. I thought, I guess I thought either of them could win, but when Ishimori won, I was super psyched. This was my match of the night. Uh, which is, I guess is not that surprising for like a super banger junior match. Um, yeah, very sick. I loved when um, uh, Hiromu goes for the sunset bomb on uh, Taiji when he's on the apron and Taiji like stops and then just does a full backflip off flip? the apron. That was fucking awesome. Also, how many times have you seen Hiromu try that move for it not to work? I feel like since COVID has come, they've come back from COVID. I don't know if he's ever hit the sunset like he's never fully hit it. It's always been a stalled. Yeah. And he has to kind of You're right. It's just all of the momentum from it is gone. And so when he Yeah, hits it a... never right. Yes, the, the the momentum it has not had I'm positive there's been no follow through on that move in this coronavirus era. Have you uh, ever played Breath of the Wild? No. Number 1, weird. Number 2, uh there's like a mechanic you can do where basically you can you can gather up a bunch of energy from a bunch of hits so you can stall a rock hit it like 15 times and then it gets released with the energy of 15 hits and i feel like that's how they treat his uh um sunset bomb like he's like when he's standing there he's still got all that momentum like 
Oh, it's like yeah, it's like stored, stored yeah. up, and yeah. like in like an energy ball, and then when he hits the, I feel like that's what WWE Battlegrounds is gonna be like when that video game hits. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good comparison. I don't know. Yeah, it's just funny that that always happens, and then it's always blocked. I mean, the block from Ishimori was cool, and overall, yeah, just the two of them have such contrasting but overlapping move sets that I think you know it, it was just like such a fun matchup. I did not expect Ishimori to win. But I guess because Hiromu, similarly to Shingo, Hiromu has been competing and did compete for the IWGP heavyweight belt and the IC belt against Evil. So why, like, I think him having the junior heavyweight belt is stopping him from competing against other people, maybe like Goto or Ishii again, where they could build feuds with other people that haven't been doing anything really. Yeah, and also his reign with that in, in that way with the junior heavyweight belt is stopping the next generation or not generation, but the next crop of like people like Taiji who deserves to yeah. hold that belt a hundred percent. Like he's so Yeah, so Hiromu good. he is really good. And Hiromu is someone also almost kind of like Cody in that he doesn't necessarily need a, a belt to give him significance. But I feel like Ishimori is someone that's kind of con- perpetually in the background sort of an ancillary player. So having a belt, I think definitely helps elevate him. Well, uh, and not the first time he's held that belt, but I think it helps keep, keep him in people's minds. And also we're going to need some gold on bullet club here pretty soon. Very true. Because in the main event, Oh, wait a minute. Don't want to skip over uh, dangerous. <laughs> oh, I got too excited. By all but... means, please skip over it. As good as this match was, I am so tired of seeing these guys fight each other. Really? I, I don't know. I liked it. I liked uh, it with the caveat that I just didn't want to see it again. Like, I feel like we've only seen Hiromu fight uh, Taichi and Koda fight Zack Sabre Jr. or maybe backwards, but just so much this summer. Oh, you mean Tanahashi? Is uh, it Taichi? Uh, I don't know what I said. Yeah. Uh, I think you might have said that Hiromu fighting tai- Taiji, which um, I think you, you meant to say Taichi fighting... Uh, Ta- Tanahashi fighting Taichi and Koda fighting... I agree. Yeah. You would think these are the only two tag teams in New Japan. <laughs> yeah, and this like, was a sick match. Like, I have to be honest. Like, I was really mad at first when it was going because I was like, I don't want to see them fight again. Like, I feel like I've seen... Tanahashi do the dragon screw on Zack Sabre Jr. and back and forth. But, like, it won me over by just being a huge, like, just a great match. Like, if it was the first time I saw these two fight, I'd be like, this is amazing. And I had to remember that as I was watching it. I agree with that. I enjoyed it because I always love seeing ZSJ and Tanahashi. And Tanahashi and Ibushi as, like, a a team are great. I actually, there's been speculation that Ibushi is going to turn heel. Oh. And... I thought that might happen in this match, but it did not happen. Yeah. So, and I thought that might be why they were put all put together again for that to happen. That makes sense. But yeah, I agree. We don't necessarily need to spend too much time talking about this. It's just that like, yeah, they could have used other people that are on their roster to make they're they're They need to make more tag teams. It's the only part of new Japan. That's kind of weak in that. Like it's all random and grills. The destiny are really the only long time tag team in new Japan at this moment. Really? I can't, I don't think I could think of anyone that any other tag team, on their roster uh, that actually has been around longer than two years. Yeah. No, none that I can think of that have been around longer than that. Like Finn juice is the only other one I can think about right now. Um, and they're that teaming. I mean, they've been together for a while, but I feel like as significant tag team 
it's like re- recent things too. Exactly. But yeah, the main event, Naito got his belt back. Sucks that it was spoiled for you though. Uh, I I felt this was their best match um, of all the matches they've had. Agreed. Which I guess, I mean, I guess they've had a lot of like, I was going to say there's only two matches, but they had uh, random sort of tag matches and stuff that also were kind of making me lose interest in their matches, honestly, because it just kept ending in interference. And, you know, finally, Sonata was prepared. Sonata came out, Bushi came out, took care of Bullet Club in the interference. We actually got like a significant like final ending to this match where they it ended with wrestling. And yeah, I I'm so happy that I was double champ again and, you know, all balance is restored to the universe. Wow, what a great segment. A journey from the past. A journey through the weeks, not really the years in the way of Back to the Future and Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. But this week and event was a truly bogus journey. <laughs> May I just say that uh, I can't believe you didn't pick any dead people on your time travel list. You basically just assembled a, cur- a list of current wrestlers <laughs> I was after too, asking us to travel through time. I was too focused on just building a, a ro- like I got too hung up on like the hero's journey aspect of it and not like past and present. Because like Genghis Khan is a volatile character within Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So you do kind of need someone like Onita. But, and Onita's alive though. Uh, so I, I guess from FM, my fandom of FMW, I'll throw Hayabusa in my mix as well. He's someone that I feel like I would love to have on my team, and he has passed away. I didn't, I didn't really think about the fact that if you have a time machine, you obviously want to go back in time and pick some people who can no longer be on your team. Ooh, yeah! Like Macho Man. Um, I just want to say, too, that I know you, you said you thought my team was too volatile, but... Yeah, I, I do think that some of the most volatile figures in history did get assembled into that. Uh, that the Bill and Ted's booth. team. Yeah. So I just thought like we lived in like kind of a, a world where things were like where Hogan would be nice and Macho would be nice and there might be some clashing, but it would be just like it'd know, be like, like their personalities like, would be big and bombastic, but they would yes. be there to help. Yes. Overall, the, for the good of the story, yes. I think it's like once I have introduced time travel to them, they're like, you are now my god and I will follow you. Exactly. That's a good point. So, back to the bogus journey. We watched AEW's All Out 2020 last night. Before the show began, me and John were rhapsodizing that uh, this was the most excited we had been for a show since we could remember. Um, yeah for a show that i was watching at home on pay-per-view like on tv absolutely like i think that the only shows that come close in terms of like excitement maybe are like when new japan came back during the covid era and then also just absolutely for sure going to like live shows in general but i think that's like a different experience than being excited for watching a wrestling show at home which yeah i i don't know yeah that and i don't know if that if this show suffered from from those expectations but it just seemed like every match was built up so well there's so many blood feuds it just uh, with the exception of the dark order versus uh cody's friends and family it felt like every match needed to happen yes you know what I mean? 
Like it had when it reached a boiling point. And it seems kind of silly to to say it, but I remember when when Moxley MJF started the match, I was like, I can't believe this is finally happening. Like I feel like I'm so I've heard so much about this match, but really it's just been like kind of like four weeks of build, right? But that's just speaks to how well they've been telling these stories. There's been some feuds that I think have lasted longer than that. But yeah, uh that you're correct in that the MJF Mox thing has been Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, um yeah, FTR and the Young Bucks that's been simmering for like and, years. And I obviously they didn't fight, but like that story has been told for years. So. And in the promo package for Jericho Cassidy, I believe oh, Jericho yeah. might have said something that it's been like a 16 week yes, build to this match. And which, you know, I have been a little bit uh, like I've been questioning whether it was necessary, but seeing the seeing the culmination here uh, at this show and just kind of like Orange having a nice moment and Jericho getting his comeuppance, it was very very satisfying. Absolutely, and I I just have to say before we kind of dive into all of the matches and sort of more of what we liked about it overall, I think it was a really great show all all out. I thought it was good. Do you think that it was? All of us were so excited for the matches and how well built everything was that our expectations were at an all time high. And I even mentioned we, you and I talked about this uh, in our chat where we were, I specifically said my expectations could not be lower for SummerSlam. Like I, to the point that I almost didn't watch it. And in that instance, they were met and sort of over oversatisfied overexceeded surpassed and yeah. surpassed yeah and in this case my our both of our expectations were so high for it and i feel like in, there were instances where they were met but at that same time yeah there were some some things that have, that definitely brought the show down uh and there the, was a couple like botches but then also a couple i would say mistakes Yes, the mistakes are, for me are what definitely brought the, the show down. Yeah, and it, it's less in, than it, the botches. It's interesting going back to the, like the very beginning of the show with Joey Janela versus Serpentico. That almost feels like not even the same show. Like that was the first match we watched last night. Well, th- th- that was the buy-in, right? Right, but that's the buy-in for the All Out. That was the first match, and it almost feels like it was that's like was on AEW Dark three days ago, and not. <laughs> Not something that we watched, you know, we're recording this Sunday morning. This was a long show. Yeah. This was like, I I think another thing that was weird is that it feels like SummerSlam was like two and a half hours, but this was like four. Well, we, yeah, and we watched, I'm at least me and Thomas were tuned into all of the, we watched like the red carpet show and the, uh, like all the, the road to stuff. I missed Joey and Serpentico because I was cooking. I, I was cleaning my apartment and then came back and was cooking. So I missed that. But I did see most of Private Party versus The Dark Order, which was super fucking cool. And it's wild that The Dark Order is so deep that like the, their third ranked tag team is like that good. Because even getting featured and that good. Dude, yeah. Well, Joey and Joey Janela versus Serpentico, I really liked. I'm glad that Joey Janela got a match on this event. He's someone that I feel like, uh, in terms of all of the different people that have been used in AEW, someone that's been so, for sure untapped within this first year. Like he's had some mem- for sure memorable matches, like his match with Jericho this week. Sad that it was a squash. Uh, definitely not memorable there. But like the match that he had with uh, Omega back on like maybe the first or second Dark episode was incredible and definitely a noteworthy match from the first year of 
uh, AEW, as well as with the Cracker Barrel Clash and his unsanctioned match with Mox. He's someone that I hope to see more of. And, you know, there's so many people on the roster, so I think he'll get his day sometime. Yeah, he's been, he's been active in GCW, too, so I don't think he's been, like, you know, so into AEW, like, that he... You know that it's its only it's his only focus. I guess that's a good point too. Yeah, it's not like he's just sitting there waiting for to be given a story while he's like basically not a fixture within the storylines. He's been ripping it up in GCW, and then when that time comes, which it definitely will, based off of sort of I don't know how he has been strategically featured here and there. You know, there's just not a big bigger story for him yet. Yeah, I bet he's. I bet he's pretty happy. Um, Private Party we, versus Dark Order, dude. Yeah, that match way over delivered. Just in that, like, I don't know that crazy like Marvel versus Capcom combo that they did. It was like a six six or seven move combo where they did like a whip to the corner, jumping Pele kick, rolling lariat, another Pele kick to a stunner, then a belly to belly suplex and a roll through pin, which combo I thought- breaker. <laughs> Yeah, that was crazy. Like I, yeah. I that like, and I, I love that. Um, the Dark Order. I feel like Uno and Grayson specifically, they have a lot of uh, n- nods to video games because Uno seems to be sort of someone that is known within like the gaming community, and uh, you know their finishers, Fatality. It's cool that their sort of underling tag team is bringing like almost like a video game aesthetic to the wrestling <laughs> ring. Like you said, the Marvel versus Capcom energy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, that was that was cool to see. I really liked that match a lot. All Out Proper started with a match that was originally designated for the pre-show, which I think definitely should have stayed there. And while it was, uh, I think, to me, fun overall, yeah. I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the length of it. It seemed to avoid, like, the turgid nature of some of the WWE cinematic matches. Um, at the same time, I didn't feel like it was a great way to start the show. Um, and I think maybe they just kind of buckled under the fan backlash on Twitter, but I, I think it should speak to the fact that sometimes the the fans are not always right <laughs> about things, especially matches they haven't seen. I think it's a good point. I think it could have been dropped in like as like a breather somewhere in the show. I also think I don't, in the post-match media scrum, Tony Khan said that he wanted it to be on the pre-show because he wasn't sure how much like the, what the quality of the fighting would be like and after he saw it he decided that it should be on the like after they filmed it he thought that it was good enough to be on the um main show he mentioned that he he wasn't sure what Britt Baker was capable of doing because of her injuries and he was imagining it being almost mostly storyline brawling and not uh and no like sort of wrestling and throughout that mat throughout the uh sort of cinematic match there was some great like strikes that happened in the hallway that felt like very hard because of the like echoing in the the dentist's office and as far as uh cinematic matches go i'm personally for everyone that listens to this podcast knows both of us aren't the biggest fans of cinematic matches in general this i felt was one of the better ones because of its well, other than the stadium stampede, of course. Yes, absolutely. I guess I guess that is a cinematic match too. But that, no, but 
I get was any of that pre-taped though? Stadium Stampede was all all happened live. No, sir. That took like eight hours to film. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes, that makes sense. I think you're thinking of just like the backstage brawl that happened on Dynamite the week like before. Yes, That's, with the golf with the golf live. cart. I guess that was yeah. all live. Yes. Man, it's it's crazy. Like both of those were awesome. I actually thought like when I when they started the same stampede, I was like, oh, there's no way this is going to be able to top Dynamite because it was just so like right. Raw Di- and, like, does Di- Dynamite ends with the inner circle standing tall? Best and... closing image uh, in Dynamite history, alongside I think the Dark Order choking everyone out a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that was sick. Yeah, uh, dude. Also, tooth and nail match brings us a sur- the first syringe spot in AEW. <laughs> Move over, Jimmy Lloyd. Before light tubes, we get a syringe spot. Not brought to you by Joey Janela, but by uh, Tony Cullen and Britt Baker. <laughs> I'm just so glad it didn't go through the face. Um, oh yeah, but yeah, this was fun, and I just want to say that I hope Britt never takes off that mask. She looked truly terrifying in this match, like with her like the plastic, plastic face mask. mask. Yeah, it's just like kind of a demonic heel. Is something I didn't really know that I needed. She's like, so scary, good. Yeah, scary Britt Baker. Uh-huh. Like keep like keep being like a Chris Jericho like heel behind the scenes and everything, but then come out in like a scary outfit with like the lights off and stuff. I'm I'm here for it. She looks like a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a character that. She is pulling off very well that I think could not could end up being something that is not that doesn't connect and doesn't work well at all. But I think she's doing it in a way that is working really well. And I would love to see more of that, too. Sort of that like crazy, maniacal dentist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like sort of serial killer. Lawrence Olivier from the Marathon Man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Dude, the second match, Young Bucks versus Jurassic Express in looking through and thinking about the matches that happened because of the Matt Hardy incident, I almost kind of forgot this match happened. Yeah. This was one of the better matches of the night. It was it excellent. Been, yeah. Should have been, should have been the opener TBH. Like it would have gotten things off on like a more cracking start. Um, I was watching dynamite this week, the go home show with my best friend, uh, Alexis who lives in the city. And you know, we, 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 we sort of half watched it, half caught up. When it was on TV, and I just love how much she perked up when Luchasaurus got like a close up. She was like, "Oh, what's going on here?" Um, yeah, sick match. I love heel young bucks. This match, I I enjoyed, and I felt like beforehand that it could be like a sleeper hit. Like this is a random match that we threw together last minute to get all four of these dudes on the card, and it was really good. Like I really enjoyed it, uh, and I love that we're getting to see. The slow unraveling of the Bucks and Kenny Omega as heels. I think that that is needed and their best as heels. Like when, I can't remember if it was Bad or Nick, but when one of them was up on the top ropes and uh, they screamed, that's a wrap, and then threw down uh, one of their finishers. I forget the name of it. But like that kind of like heel energy, they're so good at it. And yeah, it's just, it's great. And Overall, yeah, th- this match for me was definitely one of the ones that stood out. Yeah, I and... agree. I also just want to point out that squared circle post that we saw that talked about how last year... Oh, absolutely. Or two years ago, like the all-in poster was just the Bucks and Cody. 
and now it all out like a year and a half or two years later cody and the bucks are not on the poster anymore yeah it's incredible just in terms of building a company we've talked about this quite a bit on this podcast but yeah just their ability to sort of build up people and choose the right people to build up a real promotion like seeing the people that were featured on that poster like jericho orange cassidy Sheeta, mox was very cool to sort of see how they pivoted the elite and sort of the people that we thought were going to be heavily featured to be sort of take a back seat. And, you know, even to the point that like Kenny hangman feels like he's been the most featured, even though Kenny has also been a tag champ, like Kenny has been someone I feel like has almost been like an ancillary, like, wow, did you remember his like Iron Man match with pack or, the incredible match that they had with the Young Bucks, you know, he's brought the, he's brought the cleaner out here and there. Best spot machines yes. come back, but it's not been he's not been someone that I feel has been featured in the feud in the way Hangman has. So it's I agree. Cool. And I've heard some criticism being like, you know, Kenny's not as good as he used to be, like in New Japan. And I'm of the opinion that you shouldn't just like hot shot Kenny from New Japan into his superstar because you need to build him to his new audience. Like, I really, I really feel that's important. And like you said, like, even though he hasn't been the most featured, if we go back and look at some of the best matches, he's probably in most of them. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of a really good match he wasn't in. I would say, like, Lucha Bros versus uh, Young Bucks, like the Escalera. But Brody, the Brody top... versus Mox. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'm not saying he's in every match, but, like, a lot of, like, the top five matches he's he's probably oh he's yeah absolutely i mean best so, probably best match of the year this best match two of the best aew matches of this year so far feature him pack versus yeah. kenny and kenny and hangman versus the bucks yeah and like you said um like kenny versus pock but also or uh pack but also kenny versus um moxley like those are two of the best matches so yeah he's he is the linchpin of the company without He's slowly building himself up so when he gets to that, like, best bout machine, like, bringing out the hour-long, like, match Okada-like match, um, it's going to be just insane. Like, it will have built so much that it's just, it'll be out of control. And we'll, we'll, anyone who was complaining about it, like, you know, two years prior will be like, oh, I see what they did here. Yeah, and, you know, he'll be champion probably sooner than later. I would think by double or nothing next year he'll be facing off against Moxley for the title and winning. It seems likely that they will, they'll clash again because, you know, their, their match was such a banger and it's, you know, they, they were fighting on the first dynamite. So yeah. Dude, the match, the match that I was most excited for prior to the show turned out to be like a crazy clusterfuck. The 20 man, 21 man battle Royal Royale. Uh, yeah, it, it was very chaotic. I gotta say, like, I enjoyed it. Like, I will watch these forever. I really, really like I wish that it was a little longer, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a good length. Um, I, I really like seeing everyone fight. I love that Sunny Kiss eliminated Jake Hager. That was absolutely amazing. Yes, Um, that, dude, that was such a great spot. And I love that they changed the structure of it now for the wrestlers to come out individually rather than in groups. Yes, that's obviously so much better. Very weird to have them all come out together and kind of 
either like do their taunts or act like they're coming out as a group. I do like that like like Brian Cage and Ricky Starks came out together and Butcher yes. Butcher and Eddie Kingston came out together. Um Proud and Powerful came out together. Yeah. Best friends yeah. I think maybe came out together also. Uh it was just I it, yeah, just super, super cool. Um, like the structure of the match. Like it's just like a little mini rumble. Uh I thought I thought it was a lot of awesome. excellent brawling. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. I mean, I didn't mean chaotic in a bad way. I just mean kind of like, uh, yeah. I I wish with with battle royals, like I feel like GCW does a really good job of booking those like scramble cluster fuck matches, uh, where everyone kind of you see what each person do something memorable. And I know with twenty one people, we can't do that. Like there is just going to be a lot of like pummeling. But I just wish there was some more, a few more moments in this match where like it fixated on Brian Cage and Lance Archer clashing. Like that happened for like a second, but it didn't feel like a big deal that that happened. And it was a big deal. I think that it's not just that there's more people. I think it's also that people can't go outside the ring and take a break, like in the scrambles, because they're forced to stay in the ring for a while. Right, because the objective is not to, the objective of this is to not go outside of the ring. So like why, like in the scramble, you can brawl outside. Very true. Dude, I will say one spot that we did not need to see in this match was yeah. Darby being thrown in a body bat. Is like, is he okay? Like, I, okay, like, yeah. So there's a there's a couple moments on this show. Some of them are botches, and some of them are like I would say errors in judgment. Some of them are both at the same time. Um, this was an error in judgment. It was not a botch. Sammy is fine. It it. Like, there was, uh, I hate to say it, but, like, there were moments in this pay-per-view that was, like, this is too carny for too, AEW. Too what? Carny. Oh, carny. Yeah, yeah. For, for AEW. And it's, like, I know that Darby has no fear. Uh, and I even, like, I'm pretty confident that he wouldn't have done that unless he, like, figured out how to not get hurt. At the same time, as a viewer, I'm just uncomfortable by it. Like, it doesn't, I don't enjoy it. All I can think is, like, he pro- might have broken his neck right there. And not in it's not a it's not a cool enough spot to justify that kind of like feeling in my stomach. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. I mean, just in terms of the deathifying, <clears throat> deathifying wild spots. It's like we you ha- I like that you bring up quite frequently uh, Thomas saying, uh, mentioning the car being used in the GCW uh, backyard. Like it hurts and it doesn't look great. <laughs> yeah, it's like. It's the opposite of what a good spot should be. A good spot should be something like that look cool, looks awesome, but doesn't actually hurt that much. Like Sammy falling off of the scaffolding at the, the end of the correct way at the end of their match, which that yeah. pr- probably overall shouldn't have happened. But just as an example of like something that was obviously safe and yes. looked cool uh, overall, yeah, that yeah, it. I guess it's like the type of thing where it's like we. Are what you don't want to be taken out of the show like we're watching yeah. simulated two people in a simulated fight who are appearing to hurt each other but they're not actually hurting each other and if we wanted to see people who were actually hurting each other we would watch mma yeah but we are not watching mma and in this instance yeah it's like Dar- darby is deathifying and he's doing things that are apparently you know he's capable of doing and probably doing it in a safe way but uh yeah i for the rest that maybe was what took me out of the battle royal because for the rest of the battle royal 
like maybe up until the final four, I was very distracted by that. Like that was like this wrestler that I liked potentially just got hurt. Yeah. And we didn't even know what we were in for. So the next match match was a broken rules match between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara. Um, Pretty much immediately into this match, they're brawling backstage. They're on a scissor lift. They're quite high. There are tables set up below. I've watched this a couple times. There's no planet where this is a good idea. Like, it's just not a good spot. Like, it will look cool, but there's so much potential for error. You know what I mean? Like, it was just two tables. There was no crash pad. I just, I don't see the risk reward on, on that. Well, and Especially... as a pre-planned, pre-planned spot, you would think that they could just, I don't know, that it would have been, there would be crash pads and it would be set up in such a way that it's like, this is a fail safe. Yeah. It felt, it felt very like this. Yeah, it didn't. Like when I, I watched it a few times and it was like, yeah, that seemed like a very real possibility that that could happen. Like, even in the best case scenario, they're still falling, like, over 10 feet onto two tables onto concrete. Onto concrete, right. Yeah, even with uh, the tables to break their fall, there probably should have still been something there below the tables. Yes. So they overshot it. And Matt Hardy's head hit the ground. Hit hit the ground. From the angle, it didn't just look like his head hit the ground. It looked like his head and, like, kind of his neck and shoulders hit. And he kind of rolled up. Yeah. Um... Just like I would say, ruined the next two to three matches for As us. As we're talking about this too, I'm getting kind of uncomfortable thinking about it because it, it, he also like gets back up, but then can't stand. Yeah, and then he falls back he, over and hits his head again. He tries to get up three times and falls pretty much immediately, like with like spaghetti legs, and it was like truly like terrifying to watch. The last um, time I remember someone being this concussed, which I mentioned to you in our chat was when Kenta and Ishii fought each other and they got like strong, the strong style sort of element of the match became very real. Yeah. Kenta could barely finish the match. And so in all of the post match media stuff, Tony Khan specifically said he stopped the match, sent him to the doctor to check on him. The doctor cleared him. He passed the concussion protocol and then that he was doing okay after he talked to him. So there was basically a two minute, two to three minute gap in this where we saw like Sammy walking, they cut to commentary, Jair's talking like Owen Hart just like fell from the ceiling. He's like, you know, this is a sport and things go wrong sometimes. And I'm like, this is terrifying. Like, I hate this. I hate what's going on right now. And then after a couple, and, and you know, Matt was kind of still cutting a delete promo as he was walking away. Right. So we were like, are we being worked right now? Because they weren't really cutting away. They were it was still confusing. Yeah. It was confusing. And, uh, you know, then when Matt came back out, we were like, did we just get worked? If we got worked, that was disgusting. I hated it. And I'm really pissed off. And if we didn't get worked, who in their right minds watched that and put him back out? Like, I don't care if the doctor gave him a 30 second to a minute concussion protocol and then was like he's cleared i don't care we just watched him fall 10 feet hit his head head on the ground stumble three times even if he's cleared the match ended yeah who cares yeah like 
I, I absolutely agree. I was just saying, I, I, I know you were just speaking how you feel, uh, and I was just mentioning what Tony Khan said on the post-match. Yes, media yes, scrum. Sorry, sorry I didn't mean to cut you saying off there. It as like a, <laughs> I, well, it's okay. I didn't wasn't saying it as like a, well, he said it, and I accept it, and everything is okay. I 1,000% agree that it just should have ended. Like, they should have ended it. And everybody watching... All of who, is there anyone that would really be pissed that they ended it and then legitimately like on dark or dynamite came on screen and said like look we need to protect our wrestlers this is something that happened and it wasn't supposed to happen or if and they- yeah and Matt doesn't have to leave the company because we called it it's a no contest it's not like they're gonna met, they're gonna have another match in a month and that yep. will be the match that decides with the same stipulations if this was WWE. I we would I would just be like absolutely flaying Vince McMahon. I, yeah, I mean, for, well, for letting it happen. And I'm not saying that we're not criticizing Tony, but I think like like we're giving him a little bit of a preferential treatment. But I thought this was like when he started climbing up the scaffolding, I was like, I just I didn't watched, want to keep watching it. Yeah, I just watched this guy stumble, couldn't stand, and now you're letting him climb up this thing where he could fall again. And clearly, Sammy is helping him climb up it also. Like it's not like he's like boostering him, but he's he's holding on to him. Yeah, it 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 that the Darby the the two things that definitely threw the show off for me were the Darby body bag spot and then this entire incident. Yeah, there was two errors of judgment in this match: the original spot and letting it continue. That I think the second one is absolutely egregious. Um, there was one botch in this match. In the casino, there was one not botch, just an, I think a lack of judgment, which is the body bag spot. One botch, so it was starting to feel like this show is like a little cursed at this point, and yeah, it it really took me out. Like I, we had to rewatch Sheeta and Thunder Rosa because we just didn't watch it last night. We were just googling is Matt Hardy alive, basically. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it, and. The Thunder Rosa Sheeta match was great. I do think, uh, as we were watching it, I was saying that it kind of felt like the Nightmare Family and Dark Order Eight Man would have been a better way to move the show along. Like if you like that match, kind of how it started, like kind of just jumping over Sheeta and Thunder Rosa for a minute. Like yeah. Nightmare Family and Dark Order, I feel like at that point, just because of the amount of people that were out in the ring, it started to feel like okay, I'm kind of feeling a little better about the show. I'll keep watching it and. The match itself was like a dynamite match, basically. Uh, yeah, I, it, it would have been the one that would have least um, got hurt by what just happened. Honestly. Yeah, like, who, like you know, and you, you would have had a bunch of different things going on and things to distract you. So, yeah. you know, I and I enjoy it. And I'm not saying it wasn't really meant to be a diss that it felt like a dynamite match. Dynamite matches are great. It just I feel like this match itself as a match didn't feel like an all out card quality match. Yeah. At the same time, I just want to say, like, having done, like, even just, like, the most basic of live events, like a live streaming, I, I don't think it's necessarily easy to just, like, bump the card order. No. After something happens. Like, I'm sure they have so much stuff queued up. I'm sure, like, the Nightmare family are, like, in the back and the not even ready to go yet. So, um, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. But but in general, I agree. It's, like, too bad that it wasn't there. I think that would have been, like, a little bit better booking. Um, I do think overall that match should have been replaced by a Brody Lee singles match. And I think overall the event itself, while very good, would have been like excellent. 
Brody could Brody having like a six singles match with someone like Will Hobbs, who was a, who has been a standout on Dark, got featured on in the Rumble. If they wanted to feature like him, that was a great way to feature him in the Casino Battle Royal. But also, conversely, would have been cool to see him in like a singles match with Brody Lee. That Brody here's Lee what wins. I, here's what I think they should have done. This card was too long. Just take just take it out. Give Brody a spot in like a backstage promo or something like that where he gets attacked by Matt Cardona or something who to like to get uh, revenge from the Cody or even Dustin and have like a, a little like scrap backstage scrap mm. for like five minutes to set up because I, I do love the idea of the TNT matches happening on TV and I get not putting one on the paper. Absolutely. It, yeah. If that's it, what they're doing. It makes sense this was too long, though. I, I can't believe I'm saying this about an AEW show. Like, it felt too long. So, imagine I, I think they could have just let, lost it. I do, yeah, I agree. I don't think it needed to be on the show. And I, that's, that's why I think that they fucked up Card- Cardona. Because it's already, like, the big show. And we're already like, oh, yeah, they could just drop this match. Because, like, there's nothing he's doing that's important. I do think also from, like, a story perspective. Like, if they were going to incorporate, wanted to incorporate Brody Lee, they could have done something where he and the Dark Order had, like, a luxury box and just cut to him every now and yeah, then. Like they're, that's true. They have like chilies, yeah. and they're like in like a sixth suite. And then eventually, yeah, he gets attacked by whoever's challenging him on Wednesday. You, it seemed weird that it was Dustin and not Cardona, but I guess maybe they want to push Cardona a little bit later to like set up a program like more going, like a go-home show or something. I think, yeah, maybe they wanted to feature him more than just a blow-off with... I mean, Dustin versus Brody is going to be a sick match for sure. I'm uh, actually very excited for yeah. that because Dustin is amazing. Dustin's so good. It. And that's going to be a sick, like, old-school wrestling match. Like, that'll be a yeah. great... That's an excellent TNT match. Both Rhodes brothers should get TNT title shot at some point. Uh, and, yeah, I think it's great that that's the next match for... Uh, Brody Lee, and he'll obviously is going to win that match, uh, but it'll be a good one this Wednesday. Totally. Kind of circling back to Shida Thunder Rosa, that it's interesting. Like I rewatched that match this morning before we recorded, and same commentary at the start of this match. I feel like it's so alive. Like they're very, uh, very amped up, much more so than the rest of the show. I will say, and this match was very good. I was really like. Even just the start of it, where like they're throwing strikes back and forth, and then Sheeta and uh, Thunder Rosa are like face to face, kind of like scowling at each other. There's a lot of really like excellent intensity in this match that I think I did not pick up on or really notice because I was, like you said, googling is Matt Hardy okay? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it a little bit more this morning than I did yesterday. Um, I didn't necessarily think that they had the best chemistry. Mm. Oh, I, I thought I thought their chemistry was good. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, Sheeta always brings it in every singles match that she's given, and I thought that this felt like a good, like solid women's championship match on All Out. Yeah, it was a really a great idea to bring Thunder Rosa. I heard um, some people saying that Thunder Rosa should have won because it would have been a huge event in wrestling because she would have been a triple champion, being the NWA, but also uh, I think a Joshi champion. Um, but I'm pretty sure if you bring in someone from NWA and have them win at the big pay-per-view, you have just buried your entire women's roster. So yeah, I, I, was, I agree. I don't think that she should have won. I was happy to see Sheeta win, and I think Sheeta is, like, um, building herself to a really amazing uh, title reign. Yeah, Sheeta and Mox both, I feel like, should yes. 
retain for a while still. They're both great champions. And Agreed. In the post match, it was in, in the post match media promos. Uh, it's interesting to hear uh, Tony talk about cooperation. Tony and Mox both talk about co- uh, cooperation with other promotions. And like he mentioned that he wasn't even sure if Thunder Rosa would appear on AEW again, but impl- kind of implying that she's with NWA and we'll see. Like we'd love to have her back if she if we can continue to work with NWA. Basically, I feel like. Billy Corgan basically said, like, it's irresponsible of me to, like, not let people make money during this time. That's cool. I, I might think, have been imagining that. <laughs> I, th- I, but I, I, w- I think that that, uh, like, New Japan might get to that same point if the, the states continue to have the horrid levels of COVID cases we do have and we continue to not be able to travel places... Like, are they really just going to continue to only allow Switchblade Jay White to wrestle on New Japan Strong every Friday and nowhere else? Or Kenta and all of the people that are on that show right now. Uh, dude, dude, we've been talking about Kenta fighting in uh, the thing because, like, obviously, in, in AEW, because obviously Kenta won New Japan Cup USA. Yeah. And is going to face uh, Moxley at some point. But you just saying Jay White, I'm like, holy shit. I want to see Jay White versus Kenny Omega. Yeah, it's uh, almost like it, he, Jay White and Kenta both have too much talent to just be al- only allowed to wrestle on a weekly New Japan show that's an hour, and then that's it. Like Jay White, yeah, a- as like a quick heel run for like three weeks or something leading up dude, to pay per view would be great. Dude, Jay White versus Hangman, Hangman yeah. face Jay White like dastardly heel. Oh my god. Any either of them as a surprise as and in cooperation with one of the heel factions would be great. That's it. Like, um, that just, w- it would have been cool to see Kenta or Jay White be the Joker. Like that would have been a great Joker. Like that's a mind blowing Joker. Or you said, like you said, Root Miro Rusev. I mean, if you're bringing in Miro, you've signed him, so I'm not being like you need to sign people to big contracts or anything like that. But uh, yeah, Matt Seidel was a little bit like. I guess it was the right Joker because if you had someone like Miro, you'd want to announce it before because that would get you more pay-per-view buys. It's almost like irresponsible not to like make more money in that sense. Right. Um, whereas Matt Seidel is someone who's like a good Joker because it's like a debut, but it's not like someone that you needed to announce before to make more money. It's a good point. Yeah, true. And like you don't want it to be so like if Rusev was debuting as the Joker, you'd want him to win. Like right. and you don't necessarily want the Joker to be like always the person that wins by the way we never we didn't talk about this but what did you think about archer winning i love it i've been hoping since mox has become champion i've been hoping that the two of them would butt heads because they have great chemistry like i would say like brilliant chemistry in ring together and their match at the tokyo dome earlier this year was very good and one of the stands out standouts of the whole weekend of a weekend filled with great wrestling. So it'll be yeah. cool to see where this goes. And I could see, I could imagine it would be cool if uh, they allowed full gear to always have an unsanctioned match. Cause I would love to see Archer versus Mox in an unsanctioned match. Dude, that better happen. Yeah. This is, it, it's like kind of a no brainer booking decision to put these two guys together. Cause like they haven't fought yet in AW for the title. So like it makes perfect sense. Um, I was hoping for Eddie Kingston, and when he was in the final two, I was like, this, especially when there was that like shit going on in the apron, I was like, oh man, 
and he's winning this. And like, I just imagined like the promos being cut up to like that match. Uh, just seems absolutely incredible to me, but I think they will fight anyway. Just like yeah. on dynamite. So. I, I think that, and he'll get his time. Like, I just think Archer, Archer, need, Archer, needs, Archer needs that win. And hundred needs... percent. He's, he's taken some losses and he needs to be reestablished as like, I'm the, I'm the fucking guy here right now. Yeah, and Kingston was like a last minute signing or like a fluke signing because he did such a great job. Whereas like Archer is someone that they have had plans for and I think should be featured, you know. Now. Dude, how how fucking sick was it when Archer and Cage were fighting in that match and Cage was just like pulling these like crazy agile moves? Dude. And like out quickening like the murder hawk because cage looks like he's the beast and like someone like murder hawk maybe he could be like you know i don't know a little bit faster but it was the it was the opposite it was the guy who's built like a just a brick shit house <laughs> it was just like muhammad ali out quick and archer that was so cool i really want to see them fight as well i do too yeah I, it would be cool for the ftw belt to become more prominent apparently it's going to be like tony's got plans for that to happen be used in that way where it's like you have all the weird the wild weirdos on the roster fighting for it like brian cage darby lance archer yeah and seeing darby in the mix too and like fighting cage and like putting his like skateboard up i'm just like i love these i love these little feuds they've built up here and that not everyone can only have one feud at once they can have multiple feuds like cage can be feuding with darby and also uh, Lance Archer, like Darby can be feuding with, with obviously like Archer, sorry, Cage and uh, Ricky Starks and stuff. But anyway, very cool stuff. Um, okay, back to the matches we're actually talking about. My second favorite match of the night, FTR versus Omega and Hangman, aka Cowboy Bebop. John, what did you think of this match? I really liked it a lot. Uh, yeah, it... Had a lot of hype around it just because of o- Omega and Hangman's tag matches have been so good, and FTR. Everyone's waiting. Everyone has been waiting for FTR to get a title shot since they've come to come to the roster uh, over the summer. And overall, I felt like this match was very good. I liked how long it was. It didn't feel like a, I think like a half hour had passed, and I did not realize that it had been so long. It's like yeah, I, I they're all this. so good. So it's like. Well, let's just watch him wrestle for another 30 minutes. Uh, um, absolutely. No, yeah, absolutely. And this was a great place for it on the card and was just was just so good. They had such great chemistry. I just love seeing FTR working together just to hit those old school moves. Yep. Yeah. They're just, uh, they remind me of uh, the Steiner brothers. Uh, yeah, especially, especially with those bulldogs they're throwing down. Uh, totally, man. Yeah. Totally. This was, this was awesome. You know, I think, Again, this this pay per view and this match in particular suffered from just overhyped expectations. I think the Bucks versus FDR will be exactly the same way. If it's not like spot after spot after spot, a lot of people are going to be like, "Wow, this kind of underdelivered." But this match was great. Like, I will say the only the only thing that I absolutely love the match. Uh, the only thing that felt off to me was when they actually hit the three count. You didn't the commentary didn't sell it like uh um it's, it's gonna, just like i'm gonna just say this right now commentary sucked yeah they were it was not night. good last night uh it sucked it, J- jr is just I, i'm at the end of my rope with this guy <laughs> i gotta i said it last night but i was like 
you either die a JR or you live long enough to see yourself become Jerry the King. And JR is fully Jerry the King Lawler at this point. Like, just sexualizing the women wrestlers in just, like, an icky way. Just, like, getting everyone's names wrong. Just, like, I don't know. And all he fucking talks about is pins. He's like, oh, you know <laughs> you'd hook the leg on that one it's like hey jr have you ever wrestled number one <laughs> number two we get it not every pin is like a fucking small package perfect thing but it's wrestling we've all accepted this it's like complaining about something like he's not even his fist is not closed when he's punching him doesn't he want to hurt him like it just like well you pointed that out as soon as you pointed that out it seemed like this had leg hook like every other line for the rest of the night dude, you, you mentioned that dude. like during this match that if they <laughs> If someone says hook the leg one more time, I'm going to blow my brains out. And like, I I think it was said at least four or five times in this Just, match, Cassidy Jericho and Mox and MJF. It's becoming to the, I'm not even kidding. It's becoming to the point that 25% of commentary on like Dynamite and these pay-per-views is just like, you know, he made a strategic uh, uh, mistake there is he didn't hook the legs. If he hooked the legs, he'd have had more leverage and the guy probably wouldn't have been able to kick out oh really do you fucking think so jr <laughs> do you think so dude i love that you're all turned up i like i just and I, i'm just done with jr i'm just like fire this guy i'm sorry i will i will like, say like what well, like what what i started to say with that the commentary selling that why wasn't i don't are their names are cash and dax right yes why cash isn't he yelling and cash dax. and dax are the new tag champs like over and over again like the dude. you know like yeah Honestly, that, that he, was a huge one of the most one of the most substantial reigns of AEW from the from the first year I will I think maybe the most substantial reign thus far has been uh Omega and Hangman. We didn't expect them to be a team. They won unexpectedly on a cruise ship and then have had the sickest matches over the last 9 months basically. And yeah. Th- at the end of this match FTR finally wins these belts that we all have been hoping they would win for years at this point now. Totally. And all that is said is like they glumly are everyone all all of commentaries like, well that we have we guess we have new tag team champions now. It's like a a massive heel has just won and darkness has washed over AEW. Except not really because FTR has won. It should be a big celebration. So we should be happy if Omega and Hangman retain, or we should be happy if FTR wins. There's no like in story reason to be so glum at the end of this match and all of them are so monotone and i get it that they're burnt out and humidity sucks but someone could have yelled i can't believe we have new tag champions yeah i was surprised x didn't like stand up like tony okay like i think tony sometimes is like absolutely fantastic um he is he brings like the energy that you're hoping from jr which is like i've been doing this for like 30 years and I'm a voice that you hear in your head from like the attitude era slash like the Wednesday night wars. Um, I didn't think Tony, I didn't think Tony was particularly good last night. He did, they need to uh, give him a break, dude. He's, he's doing commentary on so many. We pointed this out a few times about how much commentary he's doing. In addition to that, dude, he is doing post-match media scrums, not with media, but with YouTube comments. Yeah, you're right. And then he's the, o- the next, overworked. The next most heartbreaking thing of the night, someone trolled that and wrote, you suck, man. And that was Tony Schiavone. It was shown on like the screen. And then Tony Schiavone has to like cut a promo on this weird troll. 
Oh, and it goodness. like it really like br- crushed me just because he is such a seem, seems like such a nice dude from yeah. actual real life things I've observed him do with fans at shows. Yeah. He seems like genuinely like a good like a great person who loves wrestling who does not deserve like I'm sure he is doing that out of the goodness of his heart like to interact with the fans on YouTube. But it fucking sucks that he is is put in a position where he has to speak with a troll yeah. in that way. And yeah. I think he's just burnt out. I think, yeah, Excalibur still is like, he's just came back, so he's still getting his footing again. Yeah. And then, yeah, JR was just not with it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just say, like, commentary should be Dark, X, and Taz, Dynamite, Tony, Jericho, X. Or, yeah, I think if Jericho is doing something prominent in story, he's replaced with Taz. Like, I think they could trade off. To me, Taz, like X, I think has the quintessential voice that you want to hear. Like, Tony Suicida! Exactly. And Tony Schiavone just always provides insightful things spoken mild-manneredly on commentary. And then Taz gives you such great uh, breakdowns of why someone is important and why you should care about them. Conversely, Jericho does a great job of selling the importance of anyone and also pushing everyone's stories forward for the betterment of the entire roster which brings us to the mimosa mayhem match and you know you and i documented on this podcast we're not that stoked on the overall continuation of this feud but i loved this match it was great yeah i i actually never complained necessarily about the feud i just thought that put putting it into the main event was a little bit oh right yes and it Um, personally like a perfect mid-card feud to me like, yes, absolutely. Honestly. But I get that Jericho is, is huge and he's trying to like use that hugeness to put Orange Cassidy over. But I guess just like the idea that like everyone was clamoring for more of these matches and stuff, like I didn't know if that was actually true. Like or accurate. Not. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, great blow off. Or- Orange Cassidy Superman punches Jericho. Orange into- punch now known as. The orange punch, yeah. He orange it should be the orange crush, but anyway, he orange punches him true. into but yeah, this was a really fun match. Yeah, man. Jericho's been on this run this year where I feel like he's done a lot of memorable things where within, like, while they were happening, maybe they were not, like, the most extraordinary in terms of, like, a work rate match perspective. But then overall with what he is doing in terms of building people up and creating memorable moments both in new japan and in aew he's really like i don't know yeah separated from any other wrestler on planet earth in that way like he wrestled tanahashi at wrestle kingdom walked into wrestle kingdom with the as aew champion dropped the belt to mox helped establish mox as a champion put on the stadium stampede match absolutely mind-blowing in every possible way and now has had this very substantial feud with Orange Cassidy, which in moments I have felt like I don't necessarily want to keep watching these two wrestle each other. But now that it's sort of wrapped up, Jericho gets dumped in a like vat of mimosa and is clearly very happy about it and not throwing the tantrum I thought he would throw at the end. Uh, yeah, it, it was it was a great end of the feud. I When they first announced this match was happening at All Out, I felt like, it should happen later, like let it kind of like simmer and then the two of them kind of, you know, go do other things. But yeah, perfect ending to their feud. Isn't it interesting that Jericho, after having left WWE, 
went from being like, you know, one of certainly one of the most reliable and, you know, maybe like David Bowie-esque figures in the history of wrestling, as far as like being able to like reinvent himself and just like sell these different gimmicks. He went from just being like, you know, one of the most reliable wrestlers to being like in contention for greatest of all time. Just like since putting on, you know, I would say at least two absolute classics in New Japan. Um, Kenny versus Jericho is one of my favorite matches ever. Um, it might not be as good as any of the Kenny Omega matches, but just the hype going into it, the clash of styles, the gimmicks, just every everything that goes into pro wrestling alongside the work rate was just like... Yeah, I like that match as much as the Kenny Okada matches. Uh, yeah, and he, he's had a lot of Everall matches in New Japan, and this is a great... But do you agree? Like, I feel like if he was in WWE right now, fighting The Miz or whatever, or like Kevin Owens, we'd be like, man, Jericho's awesome. But we would never be like, Jericho's one of the best ever. But now that he's shown what he can do to fight in New Japan, to go there, have that amazing title run in AEW, and like be the the head of the company... Or, like, you know what I mean? Like, the face of the company for, like, a year at an advanced age. It's, like... If he was in WWE, he basically would be, like, Dolph Ziggler. Like, it's great he's around. I enjoy watching him. But I, like... If he wasn't wrestling, I wouldn't be upset about it. I think that's somehow harsh on both Jericho and Ziggler. But I see what you're saying. Uh... <laughs> and I like both... Like, I, I... I don't know. Yeah, it's, like, they're... they're but, yeah, like, it's just, like... You could slot. I, I meant in I meant it in the way that you could slot either of them anywhere, and you totally. would be happy to see them in a feud. But simultaneously, if they were not on the roster, you wouldn't be like, "Where are they?" Yeah, I, I you're absolutely right. In um, WWE, in AEW, yeah, I agree. I think Jericho, what he's done over the last couple of years, from beginning with his match with Omega at Wrestle Kingdom and leading up to now with fighting with people like Orange Cassidy, who on his podcast he said. When he first got to AEW, he wasn't totally invested in, but then he realized he was being, like, he wasn't really seeing the brilliance of Orange Cassidy and wanted to have a feud to sort of help build him up. And he really has, like, Orange Cassidy feels like someone that could go on to challenge for the TNT title and win it eventually. And, you know. Truly. Yeah, I agree. I think he, he is absolutely a future TNT champion. Yeah, no doubt. Um, yeah. It's a great blow off. Please end this feud forever. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like, yeah, it'd be cool to see him. It'd be great if like, if eventually Jericho wants to be, Jericho would be a good TNT champion also just in his name value and what he brings to wrestling. It would be great to bring this feud back around whenever Cassidy does win the belt to have Jericho. I think it would be especially great if Jericho had been out for like a, like a quite a while. Like maybe it was just like on commentary taking a break, touring with Fozzie, whatever. And then at right the moment where Orange, like, wins the belt. He comes like, back. Jericho's, yeah. like, literally, like, he wins the belt. He's, like, celebrating in the ring. And then Jericho's music hits. Yeah. And he just walks out. And he's just, like, won't even let him enjoy the moment that he's won. Yeah. That would be that great. Would be like, a year and a half from now, if that happens, I would yeah. go insane. Dude, absolutely. the main, main event of this, I felt, like, absolutely delivered. Yeah. In every way. That I thought it would. It was an excellent main event wrestling match. Match, match of the night, for sure. Yeah. Which I often, you know, in AEW, it's a, it's, 
every match has a contender to, has is a contender for match of the night always on AEW. And I think oftentimes if we did go back through like the different cards in AEW, the standout matches maybe for us personally aren't always the main event matches. And I think for most people in general, if we went out in the cage match and uh, sort of looked at the rankings, so this was this interesting was a because great main event. I, I think AEW sometimes shoots themselves in the foot a little bit just by booking such strong dynamites. That, that happens on dynamite frequently. Yes, that the best matches like in the turn of the hour instead of the main event, and then. But also just by booking Dynamite so strong, you get to a pay-per-view and if it's not, if every match is not like an A match, you're like, well, that felt like Dynamite because Dynamite is so good. So it's interesting that um, obviously the main event should be the best one because it would be the only time that you really get to get have like a 30-minute match. It doesn't really happen on Dynamite that much. Um, yeah, like a specifically like a, a true singles wrestling match. Yeah. For this like felt, 30, 35 minutes. Yeah. This felt like that. This felt like the big money match, the feud that like really needed to be blown off. In terms of that, like thinking of that, maybe this is the first true like long build feud with a blow off. I don't know. It feels like it really does feel like they've just like for like, a, as a singles match. Yeah. Feels like they started it four weeks ago. It feels like uh, maybe even. Lance Archer, Cody was a little bit of a longer build. I guess remember, you're right, yeah. Remember when, that, remember when that wasn't main eventing and I was so you, mad because bo- they, Both of us, yeah, at the start of this podcast, both of us were like, "This, how is that not the main event? Yeah, um, it was like the fourth on the card or something like that. I, I think it just speaks to, like, we get so invested in the stories that that is what is important to us. Is like that the match, not necessarily like this is the best matchup of people, but this is the story that we've become the most invested in. This is the best I guess that that's a good done. point. Yeah, yeah, um, it's like it's kind of like it. Like they, I guess that AW does such a great job with their storytelling that like you can feel like it has is this one that I'm watching at this moment the best that has happened. But there's been quite a few great long stories in AEW, and I think in a way that is why FTR versus Kenny and Hangman wasn't like maybe didn't blow our minds because it's not the end of the story; it's like the middle of it, right? It's a step towards them and the Young Bucks. Exactly. Um, and if it, and so I do think that match, even if it's not like perfect, will deliver just because that's who we really want to see them fight. Like we wanted to see them fight Kenny and, and Hangman and we were excited, but it wasn't like that wasn't, that's not the one we've been clamoring for. No. That's just think, like a, a, a piece in the story to get the belts on FTR basically. Circling back to Mox versus MJF, it was just a great singles match with really cool wrestling spots like mjf getting busted open midway through the match a lot of blood uh added a lot to the match mjf kicked out of the gotch right yeah and i but mox has also been using that more as like a transitional move than a finisher i know he has he has been using it as a finisher and it is very well protected when suzuki hits the gotch but yeah he i feel like he's adapted that as sort of his like secondary finisher that he would use on someone like darby allen okay or i still think commentary should have sold it more like when it happened i was like i sold it to you in our group you were more excited yeah i was (laughs) like kicked out of the gotch i think if i was x i would have been like oh my god like watch kicked out of the or mjf kicked out of the gotch style like mjf is like so much stronger than we thought he was like he's not just like a big mouth like he's a great wrestler like i don't know just and Mox, in his post-match media promo, uh, 
sold that very well in that he said that MJF did out-wrestle him. Uh, but the thing that he got distracted by was his own demise and that he should have just kept wrestling because he would have, Mox himself said he would have won if MJF just kept wrestling him, but he tried to use the diamond ring, which is what, you know, led to his demise. And yeah. that was a great, I loved that spot. That was a really good use of the diamond ring and interference and Wardlow in a way that didn't feel like it was distracting. So I was a little bit disappointed by the ending, and I know that you and Thomas. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. I I know that Mox is a rule breaker. I just, I guess, I really wanted to see a definitive ending to this match, and so I, I feel like there's no way on earth on Dynamite, MJF doesn't come out and say, like, you beat me. Everyone saw it. You beat me with the, the move you weren't allowed to use. I get a rematch. Well, I think that probably will happen, right? And yeah. I guess I just. Again. I guess I just didn't want that to happen. I guess I just wanted that to be a definitive. And it was definitive. I, I I just, I don't know. Everyone had been selling, like commentary had said like a bunch of times in the weeks upcoming, well, Mox is more than just that move. And then he just like has to hit the move to win. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. Uh, I don't know. It was, I, I can see the, I can see both sides of it. Yeah. I don't know. I, 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 I liked it. Um, and what like just what a dominant reign Mox has had over this past year? Like in, ter- in terms of the different people he's fought and defended: Brody Lee, Jake Hager, Brian Cage, Darby Allen, and now MJF. And next Archer. Like it's I feel like a very substantial uh, title reign, and I hope it continues. I feel like it will continue. Like I think he'll retain against Archer if Archer is going to be at full gear, and then he'll have some more smaller matches. He said, was it, I can't remember if it was him or Jericho that said that there were people that he had on his mind to work with that we haven't seen yet. That's in awesome. The, in AEW. One, one, one or the other, I have watched way too many interviews this week or, and listened to way too many interviews this week, but one of them has said that. So there are other people that we don't know that they're considering bringing in. So totally, that's exciting. And yeah, overall, I don't know yet. This was a great way for the pay-per-view to end. It kind of helped push past the weirdness of the first half. Like these last few matches, starting with FTR, Omega, uh, and Hangman, Cassidy, Jericho, and Mox, MJF. Excellent pay-per-view matches. Worth worth the money alone. And in, in that way, similar to how we were feeling when we watched Full Gear, in that it felt like a supersized dynamite until the last two matches. So... I, I don't know. Yeah, it's again. I, think... I just think that that is such a. It's like they're almost like booking themselves into a corner by making dynamite so good. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that. Um... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to rectify that because it's like you want your shows to be good so people will buy the pay per view, but it's like the shows are so good that sometimes the pay per views aren't as good, and you spent fifty bucks for something that wasn't as good as something you saw for free the week before. I think also though it's kind of like expecting we're. Ex- because the quality is so high, we're almost expecting everything to be like all like the the last year's like all out or the first double or nothing where there are these mind blowing surprises, incredible matches that we haven't seen before. But this is becoming the normal for us as wrestling fans now where we're getting weekly matches that are incredible. New Japan's content so easy to access. GCW Beyond and Black Label are putting on crazy independent shows. We're all just kind of, I mean, we're definitely spoiled in we're terms spoiled. of the wrestling that we're watching. So I think 
now it is probably one of the hardest times ever for a show to truly stand out as being worth a fifty dollar, you know, buy rate. I don't know. Yeah, you're 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 absolutely right. That's very well said. It's like it's like we're especially spending fifty dollars. It's like I, if if that's how much you're spending on a show, then it's like, well, this show better be like Wrestle Kingdom, or what did I just spend all that money for? Because Wrestle Kingdom only costs nine dollars to watch. Right. So. It's funny, know. this was the first AEW show that I just, I dropped the money for it without, like, hesitating. Uh-huh. Like, before, it's, like, hesitating, like, should I find a stream, blah, blah, blah. And this time, it was just like, oh, yeah, bye. Because it's going to be sick. Because it's going to be yeah. sick, and I was so excited. And even if it doesn't deliver, it did, like, blow off the, st- I mean, it did deliver. Sorry, I didn't want to say it like that. But even if it wasn't, like, Wrestle Kingdom, it still put a conclusion to a lot of these stories that I've been so yeah, psyched been about. Watching. And yeah. So there's there's not not a lot to complain about. I hope everyone's okay, and absolutely, yeah. John, let's do this again, like it didn't get robot voice the first time. It feels kind of funny, yeah, because like I I feel like our classic matches sort of dovetail nicely into the content that we were talking about. So like the classic match that I will be reviewing is Tyler Black versus Davy Richards in Ring of Honor 2010. Which right now, after everything we just talked about and everything that's on the show in general, feels, feels like out of place. Weirdly out of like, why did you watch that match? But you know, at the time that you picked it, we were watching WWE pay per views and like would have been read after Payback, which Seth Rollins was a big part of, and you know, one of the matches of the night has had a uh... great substantial feud with the Mysterios. Has helped this down with Dominic. <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny to me. Just like the Mysterios, like I, <laughs> I imagined like. Uh, a new Netflix show now that the Big Show show got canceled will be the Mysterio show. It's funny that you say that because they are there is I can't remember where what country it's happening in, but Rey Mysterio is getting his own TV show as a, yeah. a cartoon show uh, based That's off awesome. his character. I hope I cartoon it, Hulk Hogan stops by. <laughs> but anyways, the only available video for this particular match has commentary done by two French individuals that sound like they are underwater. This did not stop me from enjoying a match between the heel general Tyler Black and Davey Richards in Ring of Honor in the year 2010. Davey Richards stomps his way to the ring. His energy is palpable as he steps onto the turnbuckle and streamers rain down as he pounds the corner. Tyler Black makes his way to the ring and rolls in. Davey Richards immediately attacks before as one lone streamer hits the ground. Tyler Black towers over Davy Richards and throws down a series of evasive moves that culminate in a Topicon Hilo. Richards and Black brawl on the outside and the energy from the wrestlers in the crowd is palpable, despite the fact that I have to watch this match on silent because Mark didn't check to make sure there was a widely available, watchable version. Black rolls Davy back to the inside and begins to pummel him with a flurry of fists. He spears his boot onto Richard's face and leaves it there as he taunts the crowd and welcomes their presumable jeers in response. Rollins continues to dominate and work an excellent combination of heel taunts, power strikes, and agile evasions. Richards responds by beating Rollins down to the mat with kicks that could crumble a marble statue to dust and begins to wrench a series of submissions that Tyler Black can never seem to reverse. He's out wrestling the man eventually known as Seth Rollins, and at this point, I would imagine commentary is saying, that this is what Tyler Black has been attempting to avoid. Richards continues with a sequence of strikes and submissions, but Tyler Black ultimately grabs a hold of him and throws down a backdrop. 
He momentarily has the upper hand as Richard rolls outside for a breather. Shortly after, Tyler Black follows and stomps down on Richard's face and continues to smash it into the ground. The crowd appears to be rallying for Richards as they wrestle their way back into the ring. Tyler Black and Davey Richards continue to trade offense, followed by a sequence of failed roll-ups. Richards calls for his finish, but Tyler Black evades. Irish rips Richards off the ropes and backdrops him hard from the inside of the ring, over the ropes, and to the outside. The two wrestlers are absolutely worn down at this point, pouring sweat, but Rollins finds it in him to throw down a standing moonsault off the guardrail. The fight continues with both wrestlers looking for the right opening, both hoping the other is just worn down enough for them to gain control. Towards the end of this match, Black and Richards begin throwing strikes down on one another, but, but Tyler Black is clearly outmatched by Richards in this showdown. David Richards throws a sequence of hard kicks and strikes and staggers Rollins. This is followed by a series of quick two counts until ultimately Richards gets Rollins down to the mat and wraps him up in a cloverleaf. Rollins is screaming in agony, and though this is soundless, you can feel the pain he is in. Rollins taps, and both wrestlers seem to breathe a collective sigh of relief that this intense battle has reached its conclusion. Very, very sick match. This Mark kind of also recommended this match because of a, a argument that you'll listener, longtime listeners will remember that we all, me, Mark, and Thomas had about whether or not Seth Rollins was uh, don't don't say it, don't say on the level <laughs> of oh, Omega, Okada, and Ibushi, and. We don't. We still it's don't another think one so. of your n- another another one of your straw straw men's. There's a big difference between saying that he is Ibushi Kenny Omega and saying that he's decent. There is like a huge, huge. huge he's somewhere huge. between the two, but this match is really good. Absolutely, he is. He is. I I really love this match. Uh, I'm I every Ring of Honor old Ring of Honor match we've watched together and separately has been incredible. And yeah, I I agree. I think you know even what with no sound you could see how intense this match was and sort of the emotions i feel like it's a good way to sort of i'm sure that's like a, a technique for wrestlers to like study how a wrestler sells moves shut off the sound and just watch like facial expressions and emotions and see if the story comes through and the story of the match comes through even with no sound so yeah, it was a great watch. Randomly placed on this episode. So I am recommending something to you this week that I want to watch because of a conversation we had this week. So we'll both be watching it for the first time, but I skimmed through it and it looks like it's a cool match. Mark this week messaged us and let us know that none other ah. than Stone Cold Steve Austin fought in the G1, which it, there's a, if it's cool. There's an art, there's a few different articles if you search like, surprising wrestlers who fought in the G1 at some point. And the match that we will be watching, both of us will be watching, uh, Kaiji Muto, the Great Muda, versus Steve Austin in the second round of the New Japan, or not the New Japan Cup, the G1 Climax, August 10th, 1992. Made sure there was a version that we could watch. And it looks like a, it looks like a great wrestling match. And That's it'll be awesome. so cool to see Stone Cold in 1992 wrestling the great muda i was so surprised when i read that he had been in the g1 this was also a year when the g1 had switched from the a block b block points system to just a single elimination like a tournament game. right yeah, yeah i believe it's the semifinals that uh austin and uh muda meet in the first round austin defeats art anderson uh which i'm sure that match is sick too but i'm glad that we got this uh volume 15 out this is our 15th episode john 
It's truly been an excellent adventure, my friend. And not a bogus journey. This has been another episode of the Torture Act Podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me, Mark Bass, at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us, Torture Act, at Torture Act on Instagram, on Patreon, on YouTube. And send us your listener questions that we can discuss on air to hello at torturact.com. And join the Torture Act Wolf Pack.